You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. Okay, look, a couple things on this uh, Catholic Holy Day, the Assumption of Mary, which is interesting. It's the day that Mary went up to heaven, the mother of God. But it's not in the Bible. So we celebrate as a holy day the day basically Mary died and the day she was reborn in a spiritual life, was risen from the dead and glorified in heaven and was finally welcomed into the kingdom, welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. But we read in our readings for the day in the Catholic faith nothing about that because it's not in the New Testament. The, the Bible doesn't go on past her, past Jesus' death much other than his resurrection and the few times he hung out with the apostles after his death and resurrection. So we read about when she went and visited Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and how the baby leapt inside of her on seeing Mary and how she basically gave us an important passage from the Hail Mary prayer by saying, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And she she knew that uh, she was carrying her Lord, her Savior. She knew that the baby was going to be a really important person, a person we like to call Jesus Christ. And, you know, today's not a holy day of obligation because it usually is. That is, you have to go to Mass as a Catholic. But today you don't because if the assumption falls on a Saturday or a Monday, that is on either side of Sunday, which is itself a holy day of obligation every week, they don't make you go to church. And during a pandemic, I think that's a pretty good idea too. But I made the mistake of turning on Bill Maher last night. Ugh, you know, I just wondered, is he still doing his lousy from home shtick? He doesn't do it well. I don't I don't much care for his at-home show. I think some people have really done well with it. Someone I've grown, for example, to really enjoy watching uh, his show via YouTube snippets. He breaks it all up into nice snippets. Is Seth Meyers. Now, I never really liked Seth Meyers because I never really liked... Uh, all the all the people that come out of Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live, I, I've never been a fan of. You know, the only people, the only person I ever liked on Weekend Update was Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase and his goofy style of reading the news, you know, the Weekend Update anchor, Chevy Chase. The beginning and end of Weekend Update, as far as I'm concerned. And that includes even the fact that Dennis Miller is from Pittsburgh, like me. I don't care. I didn't like his weekend update. I didn't like his jokes. The only thing I liked about Dennis Miller on Saturday Night Live was him, his signature at the end, and he did the swirls and then threw his arm up in the air. I don't know. I enjoyed his sign-off, uh, the way he dramatically did it. Other than that, I did not like Dennis Miller. I worked with Dennis Miller, by the way, once. When I was younger, I could put both of my legs behind my head, and they... Uh, we're doing a morning show, and there was a, one of our girls that was in high school, in my high school at the time, was one of the hosts on the morning show, this little gymnast, little blonde gymnast named Debbie Munno. And I forget the name of the show now, but it was a more Saturday morning local programming designed to highlight local area schools and kids and so forth. And because of her connection to my high school, they came and did a segment at our high school, shot it on video. And they called some of us out of class and they asked us a question and they filmed our answers and they were going to put it together 
for the show on Saturday morning, and the question was, what's the best way to impress a date? And so when they asked me that question on video, I put a finger up in the air as if to say, one second. And I got down on the ground and I wrapped both of my legs behind my head, which I was able to do back then. And everybody was always amazed by it. I thought everyone could do it, but no one could do it. And I guess it was just double jointed or something. But anyway, I got down on the ground, wrapped up the legs around my head, camera panned down to follow me. And I looked at the camera and I said, works every time. <laughs> and that, that uh, got, my, got the notice of Dennis Miller because he saw that segment and the way that I performed it. And he was doing uh, a bit for Evening Magazine, which was a local half-hour news show that was on every weeknight at 7.30, done by one of our local television stations, KDKA Television. And he was doing a story with, I think it was Liz Miles was the producer of the story on a local pretzel factory. And so they got the idea, let's get that kid from that high school that was on that show with Debbie Mono, who can wrap his heads around it. We'll say he's the human pretzel. So I went downtown into Pittsburgh with Dennis Miller and uh, the producer of the show. And we shot, and it took a while. We should probably shot, I don't know, 10 takes of this little segment where I was standing on the street hawking pretzels. Pretzels, get your pretzels here, pretzels. And Dennis Miller walks up to me and says, hey, where'd you get those pretzels? You know, they're really good. And I said, they're over at the pretzel factory over there on the north side. You should go check it out because they were doing this segment on this pretzel factory. So they just wanted to shoot a little introduction to the pretzel factory segment with me as the human pretzel. So he says, where'd you get these pretzels? And he said, you know, and I tell him where, the pretzel factory. You should check it out. He says, hey, I hear they call you the human pretzel. Why, why do they call you that? <laughs> and I said, well, let me show you. And I get down on the sidewalk right there on a downtown busy street. It was This was during a weekday in the summertime. And I wrap both my legs behind my head. And I said, see? And he's like, oh, okay. And he acted he acted like weirded out by the fact that I was a human pretzel. And that was, the, that was the bit. But two things I remember about Dennis Miller, and then I'll get back to the weekend update and Seth Myers. Two things I remember about Dennis Miller was when he first met me, it was inside the KDK studios downtown, and we were waiting on him. He was late. First of all, he was a little late. Because <laughs> are those stars, man? Aren't they something else? But he walked in and he said, hey, and he, you know, he shook my hand and he said, do you ever fuck like that? Do you ever fuck like that? <laughs> He's talking to a kid. I mean, obviously, yeah, I'm wrong. It wasn't summertime because this was right after that bit. I was still in school. I'm pretty sure it was my senior year. But it might have been my junior year, meaning I was either 17 or 18. So he's talking to a 17 or 18-year-old kid. <laughs> and Mr. Comedian asked me if I ever fucked like that with my legs behind my head. Mind in the gutter, Mr. Miller. Mind in the gutter. The other thing I remember about Dennis Miller is when we got down into the city and were shooting it, he was very paranoid. He was very awkward. He didn't like being down there with real people around and me getting down on the ground, wrapping my legs behind my head over and over again. We took the take, like I said, maybe not 10 times, okay? Maybe, maybe three or four. 
but he wanted to get out of there. He rushed it. You know, each time they were like, here, we got to do that again. The, the cameramen, they weren't, you know, they didn't quite get the shot right. And he, he was very like, come on, come on, come on. He was very agitated and irritable about doing the whole damn thing. And I realize he's a very self-conscious guy and he doesn't like, I, I could tell he doesn't like or trust people very much. What do you know, flash forward to the present day, you know, and of course, 15, 20 years ago, whenever the hell he came out as this extreme conservative, Republican, hate monger like James Woods. I mean, he's really right up there. He's just as close-minded and um, narrow-minded and shitty-minded <laughs> as most Republicans these days, as our garbage president that we have. So... That's Dennis Miller, Pittsburgh guy, my experience with him. No, I didn't like him on Weekend Update. Like I said, I don't – the current guys, they're all right. I don't even remember their names. The, the, the like Colin Yost and the black dude. I, I don't know. I guess, you know what, I probably would say they would be second on my list, these two current guys, after Chevy Chase because they have a nice – they smile nice. They – they have good personalities. Uh, Michael Che, I guess, is the other guy, right? They have um, they have a good energy. They seem sweet. Oh, look, Yost is dating some hot chick because it's – I think it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, lost in translation. I always forget her name. Scarlett Johansson. Um, I think that's who he's dating now. Uh, so those comedians, they always get the hot chicks, man. What is up with that? But anyway – Chevy Chase always got the hot chicks. You know, Goldie Hawn, who else has he dated? He just always got the women to like him. Um, until they find out most of them are alcoholics, drug addicts, and abusive. And the humor is just a, you know, a facade. Then they don't like him so much. But they just move on to the next hot chick who finds them endearing and sweet. But yeah, these two, these two current Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live Weekend Update hosts are probably, they, they have a good spirit to them. Now, Seth Meyers, when he did it, I thought his style would hear he goes real fast and then pauses in the middle of a sentence and then he'll speak, speak real fast again and then pause again. And that kind of herky-jerky delivery to be kind of smart-assy, I found it smarmy back in the day. I found it, you know, just trying too hard kind of stuff. And um, in his little smile, I did it. I just didn't like it. Then I found out years later when he got his late-night talk show that he – has a Pittsburgh connection too. His dad is from Pittsburgh. And I guess they got divorced when he was younger, so he didn't really live in Pittsburgh. But his dad does, and his dad did. I think he still does. I think he's like a lawyer or something. But so Seth still has a loyalty to Pittsburgh, and he, as far as sport teams and baseball in particular, he's a Bostonite, so he's a big Red Sox fan, as I recall. But his second team that he tries to support, pathetically because they stink, is the Pittsburgh Pirates. But during this pandemic, Seth Meyers does a segment of his show that he puts on YouTube called A Closer Look. And if you haven't seen it, you should, forgive the pun, take a closer look at it and go to Seth Meyers. I think he's late night. I forget the name of which show he took over. I think, did he take over the Letterman show? Is he the late night host or is that someone else? I lost complete track. I guess the Tonight Show currently is Jimmy Fallon. I, I, or is that the other one with the guy that lost the weight who I like a lot? The, the uh, Shoot. I, I, I completely lost track of all the late night shows. I don't watch any of them. 
I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. When Jay Leno took over The Tonight Show from Johnny Carson, I stopped watching it because I couldn't stand Jay Leno. I still can't. I never thought Jay Leno was funny. I don't think he has any insight. I didn't like his face. <laughs> I never liked him as a guest host. I always wondered, who does he have nude pictures of? Why is Johnny Carson allowing this dude to fill in for him so often? I didn't get it then. And then when Johnny retired and they gave it to him, I didn't get it. And that show where he was doing the feud with, with Letterman and they were, they were fighting over money and all of this, uh, to me, it was that was all I needed to see, that movie for HBO. They made about the late night wars. And I thought, yeah, Leno's an asshole. I could tell. I just didn't like him. And I don't like him. And I don't care how much Bill Maher loves him and they all love each other and all that. I don't like Jay Leno. So I don't even know who's hosting The Tonight Show. I think it's Jimmy Fallon now. I think that's who took over The Tonight Show, but I don't care. And then I know that uh, the redheaded guy took over The Late Night, but then he retired or moved out of it. And I think, anyway, I don't, I don't watch any of them. I still don't. I won't turn on my TV during the week and watch any of those late night shows. However, Seth Meyers on HBO, I find him very entertaining. And I love his segment, A Closer Look. It runs about 10 to 12 to 15 minutes every night, or he does it a few nights of the week, not every night. And he just does an amazingly witty, scathing little news type uh, segment. Um, most of it is about Trump these days. And it's, although he's obviously quite liberal, um, I just think he's brilliant and intelligent and right on. And he reminds me of Comedy Central's guy uh, who retired. Who's I, I, Look, my mind, it's early in the morning, okay? I'm trying to drink some coffee to wake up my brain cells. It's not quite working. Please forgive me. <laughs> but the guy, the guy that used to host The Daily Show on Comedy Central. Oh, that's right. And the other guy that's on Comedy Central, he's now doing one of those late night shows. Yeah, the guy with the glasses. See, they're all, and I can't, no names are coming to me right now, and I, I don't care. I'm not going to look it up. I'm not going to jog my memory. I'm just a complete sieve. Perhaps it's early onset Alzheimer's. We'll find out. The years will tell. But <laughs> that's right, that the guy with the glasses, the Catholic guy, he's Catholic, that used to do the Comedy Central show is now one of the late night hosts. Took over for one of the people that retired and they passed the, the baton. And the prior guy, the Jewish guy, who just made a movie with Steve Carroll. Hey, I remembered a name. How about that? He used to do The Daily Show, and now Noah, whatever, the black dude, does The Daily Show. Hey, look, I can remember some things like first names. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, check out A Closer Look, the segment on HBO for Seth Meyers. I think it's witty and good and to the point. But otherwise... I'm not a fan of the weekend update. I'm not a fan of the news segment on Saturday Night Live or any of the hosts that ever really did it. And Bill Maher last night, I happened to turn it on. And he does his little, you know, own version of a weekend update, basically. And his own version of a closer look, basically. By his last thing, by his new rules. His new rules is a picture, make a funny caption for it. Then the last one, he goes on a big, long speech. And last night, he decided to... Uh, I've turned off on him because he, he's been 
smarter, the smartest guy in the room, hotshot, know-it-all critic of how the pandemic is being handled. And in particular, he's poo-pooed every step of the way the deadliness of the pandemic. And in talking about uh, the handling of the pandemic, he's pissed me off because he's really said it's really fat people that have to worry about it. And, you know, too bad for them because he's never liked fat people. And so he just thinks the rest of us, like me, who we've stayed fit and we eat right, we can just go out and fuck it all and it's not that bad of a disease. Come on, we can't shut down for this thing. He recognizes that he's not delusional, but he also thinks, hey, I'll take my chances, even with all the studies showing the damage to the heart and other organs that can result from ever contracting the, the damn disease. So, oh, well, he just dis- dismisses that. But last night he decided to talk about our, our need to erase history, the fact that anything tangentially associated with slavery in the past has to be taken down and destroyed, even though back in its day, we were all in that environment and, and we, it was normalized. In retrospect, we must chastise everybody that was a part of it. And in that regard, he's, it was particular to the wedding ceremony of Ryan Reynolds and uh, Lively, whatever the hell her name is. I forget the name of his big, tall wife. And they apparently did their wedding ceremony on a plantation because it was a beautiful open space. And now they're saying mea culpa, mea culpa, and they're, they feel awful about it. And they're whipping their backs and um, making alms unto the Lord because they feel like, you know, they glorified a, sla- a place where slavery was and they used a place where atrocities were committed as, as a background drop for their, for their beautiful ceremony. And then they, they just can't apologize enough and it was a big mistake and so on and so forth. And Bill Maher wasn't buying, buying it, nor do I. And he was saying, look, the, you, what are you going to do, blow up the land? It is what it is. It has the history it has. You know, that doesn't make you ascending, assenting to what happened there in the past. That was the past. And he said people are trying to take down Ulysses S. Grant's statue. And how far can this go? Like just because he knew someone who knew a slave or did something, people want to take on Lincoln and say, yeah, he's all right. And it's true. He's exactly right, Bill Maher, in that. We live in a culture where nothing that we build ourselves from is sacred. Everybody talks about the, the patriarchy as if it's some evil thing. Meanwhile, my mother became a Catholic in the 1950s. Guess what was big in the 1950s? The patriarchy. It was a white patriarchy that was really in charge of the power of the United States in the 50s during a time when you know, immigrants that had come over were really embracing their roles as citizens and developing businesses and new technologies. And America was really thriving. And they were doing so largely with the white man in charge, the patriarchy. And so when Trump says make America great, great again, he means make it white men dominated again. But the reason he says it is that, you know, he, he ain't lying when he says that America was great back then. No one disputes that. That we came out of that Great Depression. And really, even with the civil unrest of the 60s, that helped us. We grew. We evolved. So many wonderful things. But now we've, we've, we've grown into this because of the diversity, which is all good, and because of the immigration bringing so much more diversity, and because of the, the empowerment given to women. 
we have reached a place where we're raising children now who look at everything of our past and tear it all down. And they look at everything through a microscope, everything they were taught in school about our history. It's all a lie or it was all hiding dark evils underneath it. And it was all really the patriarchy and the patriarchy is evil. We must tear it all down. Well, they don't realize they're eating themselves. You know, if you're if you're saying this this plot of land was a plantation where slaves were owned, so you know people were held as as property, so therefore what? It can't be a beautiful plot of land anymore. It can't be used anymore. Should we all just close it down and use it as like a monument, like a, like a Holocaust monument to a, to an atrocity? And and I would say the same thing to the Black Lives Movement. And I've said this before in podcasts. Look, I'm 54. I was raised in a world where blacks were equal. And I was told that. And I've lived that way. Sure, there are racists that were raised throughout this time. But the America that I was raised in was an equal America. At least that was the dream. That was the plan. And I've seen it in my life. Now, it may not be true that other people see it, like the police. It may not be true that other white men like myself have lived their lives openly wanting women and blacks and other minorities to have the same share, the same chance that they have. Maybe. All I can tell you, 54 years, that's how I've lived. That's what I was taught from a white family, from a white Catholic family. That's what I saw in my schools, a largely white schools, largely white uh, I got into National Honor Society in 11th grade. I believe there were 13 or 11 of us. I was the only male. All other women. When I graduated from high school in 1984, everyone went to college that was in National Honor Society or that was in the upper echelon of the learning process. Most of them were women or all of, you know, the women all were going to college. And they all were going on to be doctors and engineers and so forth. They were going on in their lives to be professionals. If they stopped along the way and decided to raise a family and didn't work, that was fine too. But you know, this is 1984 when I graduated high school. Everybody had an equal opportunity to become a professional, to make money. Nobody was thinking back then that they were going to make less than a man. In fact, just the opposite back then. We had, you know... Anchors on the news were a woman and a man, and they presumably were paid the same. Nobody thought, why would a woman be paid less? I, if people want to go back and trace and see that that's been true, that somehow it didn't quite go equal like we thought, that's fine. And if that's true, let's straighten that out. But to imply that somehow the patriarchy has been ruling and it's all been dark and evil and white men have hoarded all the money. You know, if white men have hoarded all the money, it's because they got there first. They earned it first. And why should they give it to you? You have to earn it away from them. In other words, it's a competition. It's a capitalist society. If the minorities and the women want to have equal money, they've got to earn equal money. The question is, are they getting an equal chance to earn that equal money? And as I'm saying, the world that I've been raised in for half a century, yes, they've had an equal chance. Have they achieved it? I, I guess not, apparently, from the economic you know, criteria. I guess they haven't achieved it. But... To assume that they haven't achieved it because of racial prejudices or because of sexism 
or misogyny, to assume they haven't achieved it because we haven't given them a chance to achieve it. I don't know that I agree with that. I think maybe they haven't achieved it because sometimes when the cream rises to the top, it's a white man. How about that? Amazingly enough. Sometimes the patriarchy is just a guy who does something very well and he happens to be white and he happens to have a penis. And so why should he give it up or sacrifice it or lose it because he has a penis or isn't black or whatever? Why, why, why can't he earn something? Why should he be made to feel that, some, that what he's worked hard for and what he has earned is being taken from him because of what's between his legs or what his pigmentation was? Why is that not discrimination or sexism? Anyway, the world, all of this is just to say we've come a long way and we've reached a place where everybody wants to tear down America and talk about what needs to change and how everything that we were built on is bad, whether it's plantations or statues. And Bill Maher was trying to say, we are what we are. Our history is our history. You can't be denied. And it all has to be looked at in the proper perspective. And in that time, these things were acceptable. And to make everyone today apologize for the sins of the fathers, for example, to make me feel bad about the sexism of the 1950s doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I wasn't born then. To make me feel bad about slavery doesn't make a lot of sense to me because the world I've lived in and what I've done my entire life is assume that blacks are equal to me and treat them as such. Um, I understand the history. I respect it. Both Same with Jewish people and the Holocaust. And But most of these people out there protesting and complaining, they really haven't experienced the kind of persecution they're petitioning against. They, many of them have been fine in their lives, but they're, they're taking advantage of their skin color or gender to try to grab more of the pie without necessarily earning it. You can't tell me that's not a part of what's going on. Now, Nobody is more repulsed by the police activity towards black people than me. Nobody is more repulsed by rapists or those that abuse women than me. Nobody. But you can't tell me there's a large segment of women and minorities who are taking advantage of their demographic characteristics, for lack of a better term, to try to grab some more of what's out there in America without necessarily having to work for it, to complain dare I say wine, in order to get things to have other people feel guilty. So they give it up here. Here, I'm a white man. I worked hard for this. I have it. But here, here, I feel like you're all going to burn my house to the ground or stone me to death if I don't give you some of my wealth that I had to work really hard for. But here, so here, here, here it is. And I'll just be like under you here. In fact, rise up above me. Take this job that I want to get because of your gender and race here. You get it instead, even though I really need it. And I worked for it and I earned it. And even though all the credentials show maybe I'm even better than you. No, no. Here, you take it because of your gender or race. I don't know how they expect a man or people that have lived their entire lives trying to be equal and seeing everyone as equal. Why they expect us to suddenly then kowtow to them and, and, and sacrifice for them. It's crazy. So I think at the end of the day, that's what Bill Maher was getting at without going that far. When he's talking about statues and lands and things that were when they were, we, we've got to move on. We, we see what we are now. We live in the current culture. To ask everybody who's living in the now to apologize for the then 
or to try to erase the past. It's unfair. It's illogical. And then here's the part that I didn't like. He decided to make a segment about Jesus. And he said, if you're going to do that, if you're going to make everybody, even back then, apologize for what was acceptable then, then what about Jesus? Because he came down and there was slavery. And both Old Testament and New Testament of your Bible, you religious lunatics, because he thinks we're all stupid if you have faith at all, of any kind, of any religion. He, he just thinks we're all a bunch of idiots. He said, you know, slavery's acknowledged and accepted as normal in all of the Bible. Master, listen, I mean, slave, listen to your master, obey your master. What he doesn't get is that's the message of Christ and, and, and a message a good Catholic tries to follow regardless of slavery or not. In other words, if you are a child, you are to respect your parent because they are your elder and they're in a position of authority, authority over you. And this is always, not just when you're 18, it ends. This is for the rest of your life. Your parent is someone who God is the idea, placed above you with authority over you. And you should always respect that authority and obey that authority as much as you can. As, you know, unless they ask you to sin or do something wrong, you should obey the authority over you. And, and the same message is in the Bible with respect to bosses who you work for, tax collectors, pay unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Husbands, Wives, obey your husbands. That's in the Bible. And yes, slaves. Slaves, obey your masters. You know, acknowledge the authority of your rulers. So he can talk about slavery being normal and Jesus was cool with slavery and Jesus needs to come back and go. He was saying Jesus needs to come back and apology's not good enough. He needs to like go into therapy over it and join a help group and do community service and all of this. It was funny, it was witty, but, but my point, my problem with it is the, a misunderstanding of faith and a mockery of it by, by putting Jesus out of context. Yes, Jesus was here during slavery, and he did seem to accept it. He didn't spend his days trying to break up the actual physical uh, reality that existed of men er owning other men and women, of people being property. He went forth in his time and didn't rail against that concept, which we are now railing against. But he, he did the same with respect to Romans ruling over the Israelites and the ownership of land by the, those in money and the different rule that, that the fact that you had the Jewish people trying to have their tribunals and laws underneath the rule of the Roman Empire. He, he, didn't, he didn't confront the reality, Bill Maher, in his joke, in his, in his distortion of it, like Jesus is a fraud because Jesus, for all of his talk about, for all of his love and goodness and greatness, he was cool with slavery. So... 
all you Christians should really realize, you know, you're following someone who's, it's his bullshit. He was just, you know, he was, if he was really the, the, about freedom and he, he would have taken on slavery. Well, no, you're missing the point of Jesus. Jesus didn't, here's the big factor. It's a huge, important thing to point out. The Jewish people were waiting for their king. They were waiting for their savior. And the reason the Jewish people to this day aren't Christians, the reason they didn't accept Jesus as their Messiah, the one they were waiting on, is because he didn't free them from their slavery to the Roman Empire. He didn't fight and get them. The Old Testament is about marching people out of one land of captivity into new ground, the exodus, you know, the, the movement of the Jewish people into their own land and their sacred territory and their freedom. The Old Testament is about true kings, David, etc., Moses leading people to freedom. They were waiting on their Messiah to be the most high leader like that, their king who would lead them to some sort of real worldly glory. Jesus came and said, I don't care about all that. I don't care about all that. You got to, hey, if you're born into a place where you have to come under the authority of these people, then you got to obey them. But never forget the true authority is God and they have to not forget. And he took on the priests and the Pharisees. He took on the Romans. He took on everybody who didn't obey the true master, God. But no, he didn't spend his days taking on slavery any more than he spent his days taking on paying taxes. I mean, he did not take on the oppression, the, the oppression of the times in an economic sense either. He took on our spiritual slavery. Do you get it, Bill Maher? He wanted to free us all from our slavery to sin, from our slavery to the idea that we weren't loved, from our slavery to, the, to ourselves, to our selfishness to our cruelty to one another. And you know something else? The black people in America that were held in captive in slavery during those years of our culture, many of them found peace and freedom and heart and got through it through praying to Jesus and God. His sacrifice, he understood the sac those that sacrificed, including the slaves, including the non-slaves, but those downtrodden, the poor, the humiliated, the humbled, the weakened, the oppressed. Jesus gave them all hope. He reached out to them all. And slaves, during America's history of slavery, found great relief and joy in their faith to Jesus. So somehow Bill Maher tries to spin it that because Jesus was cool with slavery when he was here back in the day, and that wasn't even black people slavery in America, that's a whole different country. That means he's not good and people praying to him are idiots. But the reality is 
He spoke to everyone who's a slave of anything in this life, including them. No, he didn't come down to lead a war against that. That's why the Jewish people don't follow him. They were waiting for a king to rescue them in the physical worldly sense. Because Jesus didn't do that, they moved on, still waiting for their Messiah. They're still waiting for their Messiah to this day. The Christians realized the true message that Jesus came to share. The true slavery he was rescuing us from. It was a spiritual slavery. It was something way deeper, way more important that actually touches all of us, including the slave, including the master, including the wealthy, including the poor. The message was for all of us. He had something way more important to do than to fight over trivial matters. And yeah, yeah, to Jesus and his method and his message and why he was coming here, what he was doing, what, he was, what his calling is, slavery, no slavery, that's something that mankind can work out over time. But they're not going to get it right if they don't understand what I'm here for, this message, the message of forgiveness, love. And it's that message, Jesus's message, that finally got America to end slavery. Doesn't Bill Maher get that? Certainly many Christians get it. It was the very message and truth and freedom that Jesus brought that brought down slavery in America. And it rescued slaves while they were in captive. It's the message that can save us all and rescue us all from the darkness and the ugliness of these current times. So right, Bill Maher, let's not do revisionist history. Let's not erase the past. But let's not distort it and tear it down either. Let's not try to pretend that there weren't wonderful things back in the 1950s in America when my mother became a Catholic. And there weren't wonderful things when white men were in charge. Let's not pretend that Jesus, although he didn't address slavery as an actual, physical, real-world event, addressed it in the most important way of all. And he won. He can win today. For you, if you are oppressed. For you, if you feel alone, misunderstood. Jesus can save you from your inner slavery now. That's what he does. That's what understanding the message of Christ is all about. And so on this day, when Mary went up to heaven, even though we don't see it in the Bible, we, we know it happened and we're celebrating it. And I'm remembering my mother and remembering that she came to the Catholic faith because of Mary. Well, there were two reasons she went... As I recall the story, right around the time when she was 16, which is right around the time her father died, she went to a Catholic mass with a friend. My mom was raised Protestant. She went to a Catholic mass and just loved them because they used a guitar. Can you believe that? We're talking about the early 1950s. And whatever Catholic church she went to, they were cool enough to have singing uh, with guitar masses. And her Protestant church just used the old pipe organ. And she just thought the music was so much more warm and welcoming. But also, as she investigated the Catholic faith more, the reason she converted to Catholicism was because of Mary. Because Mary represented a blessed woman and a woman figure in the church that was holy and that was revered. Really, the very first saint. And 
And she connected to the idea of someone that she could relate to, a woman being holy and being part of the conversion and faith in Jesus. And she loved that aspect of the Catholic Church. And to this day, a lot of all the other Christian f- sects that broke off from Catholicism, they broke off because of ways they were different from Catholicism, ways they were um, more lax, frankly. Yet they don't subscribe to what they feel is too lax of a of a faith in Mary. They think that we pray to Mary. They think that we we raise Mary to the level of God when really the Catholic faith, you can find it right in the Hail Mary prayer. We ask Mary to pray for us. We are praying to Mary, but not as if she's God. We are asking for intercession on our behalf. We ask Mary, when we pray to the saints, same thing. We ask them to intercede. We know that they are so holy in the kingdom above that they have God's ear better than we do. You know, they might be able to get some concessions for us down here better than we can. So let's pray to them and ask them to basically act like advocates for us. And Mary's a wonderful advocate for women, but also for men who find challenges with women. Um, Mary is a wonderful source of finding love in when you miss your own mother, when you've lost your own mother. And I think this is a great day, the Assumption of Mary, to think about your mother and to think about what she gave to you and and in my particular case, how she came into the faith and what that means. And you know, my mom did it under the patriarchy. And my mom dropped out of school for my father. And my mom didn't work and raise children. And I guess it's a horrible thing today. All of the stuff my mom did. My mom, who I loved tremendously, who I feel was a wonderful person, a good person. I really did a lot of good in the world was really loved by everyone that knew her. Somehow, I guess, today's people would say she was oppressed. She was controlled by the evil male patriarchy. I don't know. I I think that we have to be careful in this America today to keep sacred those aspects of who we are while we also evolve. There are parts of us that we are ashamed of, but they are part of who we are. And we have to recognize that we've grown past them only because we suffered through them. Had we not experienced them at all, we wouldn't have the hope we have to be even better than we were. Metals are purified via flame and fire. People are purified via challenges and obstacles. America is purified via having a history of slavery, having a history of oppression, learning to be better from it, having more awareness. Instead of hating on all that we were, be grateful for it. Even the people that were oppressed back in the day could find peace in God or other avenues. All of us today are still oppressed by something or another. We can still find hope and peace through messages of hope. There are people much richer than us who have way more. We can be jealous and hate our lives or we can find an avenue of hope. We can reach out and find joy 
and happiness in our limited existences, as oppressed as they may be today. Let's not hate on our existence today any more than we hate on the existence of the past. I'm not asking us to be complacent. I'm not saying everything's okay. I'm saying, why are we so preoccupied with destroying what has made us what we are? Can't we embrace and love what we are? And that includes sometimes submitting to authority, submitting to authority and taking on the paths that are there for us to overthrow it, if we must, in the case of Trump, which are, you know, the electoral process and the political process. And try, try, try to restrain from any violence. Don't think about revolution just yet. And recognize that we have opportunities here to learn from this horrible time and to grow and evolve and be better than ever. And that the new America that comes out of this nightmare will actually be stronger than ever because we'll know the weaknesses of our democracy. We'll see the holes. We'll see the, 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 the opportunities that we've allowed to exist there for other nations and other bad thinking people, liars to sort of sneak in and get things done. And we can close those off. We can, we can take control of our laws and close those loopholes down and protect our democracy more. I think all of that is possible. Let's not pretend like it's all going to collapse. And please, let's not do our best to make it collapse by constantly harping on all the wrong that was committed 100 years ago, 50 years ago, or even now. Let's try to harp more on the right that we can do. Let's look at this opportunity as an opportunity to learn and grow and be better from the suffering, from the oppression that we're experiencing from our president right now. Let's not look at the division of the right and the left as something that's just going to get worse and throw it away. Let's find a way to make it more compatible with one another, each viewpoint. Let's, I think... We are, I think we are reaching a point in America where we can do that, where we can find common ground in saying, you know what, this us and them philosophy, this, this black and white philosophy, this red and blue philosophy, we saw it raised to the highest level in our president, and we reject it. A third of us don't. A third of us seem to be happier than pigs and shit. But the rest of us, the majority, enough to carry the day, even with what he's trying to do to the post office during a pandemic, the majority of us are going to say, we reject this. This is too ugly. This is not America. We can't be this. A lot of Republicans, a lot of Christians are turning away from Trump because they're saying we just can't do this. It's not the America we want. So good it's been a good thing, believe it or not, to suffer through these four years, those of us who have lived. No, it's not good the ones who died of the pandemic who didn't have to if they had a president who wasn't incompetent in charge. No, that's not good. The people who actually lost their lives or freedom, the children in cages, etc. No, you're never going to right that wrong. That was a wrong done by a horrible leader and it's never going to change. But let's make sure that they didn't die or suffer for no reason. Let's move forward and make the best of this horrible situation and make a better America because that's what we've done. And any more than you don't want to shut down the plantations or shame on them because, hey, there was, there was slavery there. You can't shut down the history of Trump. You can't erase the history of Trump. 
You know, let's, let's remember Trump. Let's remember this time. Let's not erase it. 20 years from now, I don't want people saying, you know, tear down this, tear down that, erase this, erase that, because it was wrong when it happened. Sure, it's wrong when it's happening. Yeah, but it's a part of who we are. And if we tear it down, how are we going to learn? And how are we going to? And it's a sign of hope because we overcame it. We overcame slavery as a nation. Let's be happy about that. And we're going to overcome Trump. So let's be happy about that, too. And just in summary, Jesus is the king of overcoming, and he helped us to overcome. So please, please, please don't judge him for what he didn't do when he was here. I mean, let's not spin things our way because we're an atheist, Bill Maher. That's your, that's your gig. That's fine. But let's look at the real picture of what he did do. And what he did do was give everybody lifelong hope of something more, of an afterlife of reason to this existence. And that's the very thing we all need to give us the strength to fight against Trump, to fight against the evils such as slavery in our culture, to fight against our instincts towards sexism and racism. What we need more than anything is the inspiration of someone as strong and beautiful and loving as Jesus. So don't take that away from us, Bill Maher, please. Don't pretend like your intellectualism and anti-faith attitude is enough. It isn't for most of us. Most of us, I say, actually need hope in something more than this ugly world to give us the strength to make this world less ugly. I love you. Yabba da boop 